Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 273. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. As always, I'm joined by one of the marvelous members of the Blueprint Live Online team. We are continuing our breakdown of the Blueprint Diagnostic Cars section this time, passage for today. But before we jump in, you can get this diagnostic for free by going and signing up for a free Blueprint MCAT account over at blueprintmcat.com. Go do that right now. Let's go and jump into our passage today. Evan, welcome back to the MCAT podcast. I'm excited to jump in with you today and actually jump into the car section as we were talking about uh, last episode with um, how the car section kind of can scare students. Yeah, I'm excited for us. I think a lot of the car section can be scary. There's some very valid reasons to be afraid of it, but I hope we're going to kind of demystify it a little bit today and kind of breaking it down, all that good stuff. Good. We're going to show them that it's nothing. It's a dragon (laughs) that it will be easily slayed here. Um, So we're starting with passage four of the blueprint MCAT diagnostic. Again, everyone can get this test for free by signing up for a free blueprint account, blueprint MCAT account over at blueprintmcat.com. When you are transitioning from passage to passage or discrete set to passage or passage to discrete set, whenever you finish a set of questions, what is your kind of go-to break in between? Do you, do you do some breathing? Do you take, do do you just close your eyes for a second? Like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, honestly, a mix of those two things together. Usually what I do is I kind of maybe lean back in the chair a little bit, close my eyes, just kind of try to clear my mind, partly just as kind of a micro break to give myself a chance to recover, catch my breath, so to speak. And also, I think especially for cars, we have such a almost random um, chance of whatever type of passage you're going to get, philosophy versus economics versus all these potential things. It can be nice to have a little bit of a chance to reset and go into the next passage with a completely clear um, slate. Yeah. Okay. So you open up the car section and then you realize you you read the first sentence or two and you're like, shoot, like I know nothing about this subject or shoot. Like I hate this kind of, I hate this period of time that they're talking about. How do you, how do you go into the car section with a good mindset? Well, I think that is a very tempting thing. That's definitely, we mentioned kind of the last episode of this. What's something I did well? This is something that I did very badly 
on when I was <laughs> studying was that every time I got in so embroiled into this idea of, oh, yay, it's a philosophy question. I geek out about philosophy versus like, oh, no, you know, an art history question. I could maybe, you know, count on my one hand how many artists I can name. So, you know, that level of, I think, stigma almost when you're walking into, into the car section with that. Yeah. is just distracting your energy away from what you should be really focused on. And with cars, what we're trying to focus on is reading the passage because everything you could possibly need to know to answer every question is there on the page in front of you. So no matter what you know or what opinions you bring from outside, those cannot help you. Like that is, as a rule, they cannot help you. They can hurt you. They can get in the way, but they cannot help you. The only thing that's going to help you answer those questions is the passage they give you on test day. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our passage today. Again, this is passage four from the Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic, which everyone gets for free again at blueprintmcat.com. Perfect. So I'm going to start off kind of reading through this passage a little bit. Um, Ryan, I'm probably going to stop just at various points. The post questions, do you kind of see just based on, you know, your, your expertise as a reader of the English language, someone who's been doing it for quite some time now, what your thoughts are on okay. what we're going through here. But starting off, I'm just going to start reading and I'll periodically stop to throw some questions to you. Okay. While the central otherworldly concerns of the Taoist religion have led some commentators to assert that Taoism is a religion without religious texts, nothing could be further from the truth. The key texts of Taoism may lack the same coherence and historicity of the Talmud or the Quran, but there are nonetheless various works that have profound influence and no small authority among nearly all Taoist sects. That's our first paragraph there we just went over. Yep. Ryan, if I was just going to ask you to give me like one word to summarize what the main topic is of that first paragraph we've been introduced to, what, what would you kind of throw back at me? Uh, one word, just Taoism. Yeah, one word, one word. Taoism. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and this is maybe an obvious question. How did you come to Taoism here? Why did you pick Taoism? <laughs> uh, because about every sentence had that word in it. That is, yeah, that is like <laughs> legitimately a good way to decide what's important, right? The author presumably wrote this passage in order to accomplish some goal, to explain something, to argue for something, to describe something. If they're giving a bunch of attention to something, it's probably important. If they are describing it and then giving us an example and another example and a counterexample and things like that, it's mm. probably really, really important to them. Just like you were able to identify just intuitively without even thinking about it. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. So from that, maybe you want to think of, right, after reading a paragraph, we might want to highlight something to point ourselves what the most important thing was from this sentence here, or from this paragraph here. Yeah. If I were to highlight something from the first paragraph, I would want to highlight something that is summarizing that main idea. What point is our author making about Taoism? I want to keep it pretty minimal, because if we just flood the entire page with yellow and we're swimming in a sea of yellow highlighting, that's not helpful to me, because yeah. then I, it's like the opposite, right? It's like, it's all white now. If I make it all yellow, I still just can't <laughs> tell anything. You want to have just enough highlighting on screen to point out the important bits. Yeah. Uh, 
to me, what the the dichotomy is, some say it's a religion without text, but the author says there are various works that have influence. So to me, that's like the big point there. Yes. And I, I love what you're pointing out here. I think there's, and there's not necessarily one absolute correct way to highlight, but honestly, if you highlighted those two little parts of the sentence, the phrase, some say, or some commentators assert that Taoism is a religion without text. And then we see very clearly our author is disagreeing with that at the end, mm. right? Um, that's a great place. Honestly, um, if I were highlighting this, just to keep it all in one place, personal preference, I probably would have only highlighted this fragment that says, some commentators assert the Taoism is a religion without texts. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because oh yeah, it's all right, right there. there. That's not only, it's, I mean, it's strong language there. It's strong opinion that's coming forth from our author. But yep. also, right, it's telling us, pretty much setting us up for the fact that the rest of this passage, our author is probably going to be going through and telling us why that's not the truth, why that's a bad idea, et cetera. And then, you know, right below that is just an example, right? An explanation of why mm. our author is making this argument. So I might not highlight that because I can just go back based on my highlight. I know they're discussing why this is wrong. So I can just go back and, and find it if I need to. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Paragraph two now. It goes without saying that Tao Te Ching is the central work of all Taoist religion. Despite two and a half millennia of debate over its origins, authorship, and date of origin, it remains the foundational work of Taoist philosophy and a central component of Taoist ritual. So important is this work that even commentaries on it, themselves many hundreds of years old, have become important religious texts themselves. So, a little bit more description of Taoist religion, the texts that are, that are part of it. Ryan, and just kind of your own words, maybe like a bullet point form here. What do you think you would say is the main idea, the subject, just kind of what, what new idea we're getting overall from the second paragraph? Yeah, to me, it's just, it's just a, an example. The author is giving us a specific example of a work that is important to the Taoist religion. Good. And, and how do we know that this is an important work to the Taoist religion here? What do we see on the page that tells us that? Um, so, I mean, this first sentence, it's, it's the central work to all Taoist religion, I, I think is, uh, a big one. And then, I mean, just, just the, the follow-up of the commentary also being important. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that entirely. And again, I think you're noticing here, right? It doesn't necessarily take any type of like mystical powers to pull this stuff out. A lot of our intuitions from reading, you told me without hesitating that this is an example, an explanation of some text that's really important for Taoism. All we have to do now is make sure that we're based in the text here. And you were here, you're based in the text. There's ample evidence here where author is calling this the central work, the foundational work, so important, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. I think highlighting any of those things is sufficient here to tell us how important this is. I'd probably just limit it to one highlight because while repetition is good for us, we don't want to just over pollute it with um, highlighting here, but I think this is awesome. This is like the central idea of this second paragraph. And we know going back, if we get a question about the, the Tao Te Ching, this might not be a bad place to look for it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Paragraph three. If the Tao Te Ching lays down the foundational ideas of Tao and Te themselves, the practical application of these ideas in life is more fully explored in the Zhuangzi and the I Ching. The Zhuangzi, 
much like the Tao Te Ching, has an ancient origin, circa 400 AD, shrouded in no small amount of legend. Supposedly written partly by Zhuangzi himself and later expanded by his disciples, the work eschews the abstract poetry of the Tao Te Ching. Instead, it uses more down-to-earth parables and short dialogues to help readers bring their lives into alignment with the concept of Zhuang, or naturalness, in their daily lives. It also encourages following the Tao of the Elements. I think this is the first one that I'm getting to here as just like a reader in general, where it can be a little bit easy to get lost in the details because they're throwing a whole bunch of stuff at me. It's a lot of stuff. And for uh, non-native English speakers, all of these other words potentially are, are big. Even for me as a native English speaker, I'm like, there's a lot of non-native words that I'm trying to read, trying to understand what does this mean? Oh, is this another book? I don't know. Is this a person? I don't know. And so I, I get very confused. But at, at the end, I go, oh, I think this is just more examples. I think it is. It is more examples. You're absolutely right. And the way we know that is because at the very beginning, this first sentence here, that example we just saw in the past paragraph, that Tao Te Ching, mm. what they're doing in the first sentence is they are making a comparison and a contrast between the Tao Te Ching, one example of a Taoist text, versus these other two ones they introduce. I had quite literally never heard of any of these before yeah. going into this. I don't know if that's a, a failure on my part as a, as a reader, as a, you know, uh, someone who's not very cultured perhaps, but this is something that I'd never heard of. But I can still at least gather based on what they're saying here, okay, the Tao Te Ching is some religious text from the Taoist kind of history. Mm -hmm. We have two other ones. Ryan, what is, how, why are they making that comparison in that first sentence? What are they saying? How are they comparing the Tao Te Ching to these two new ones they bring up? It, it sounds like it's just pretty basic. I mean, the, the words that they use, foundational ideas, and then exploring them more. So just going more in depth. Yeah, exactly. So the one they told us about before, that Tao Te Ching, it's, just, it's the foundation. It's kind of like, you know, the first thing they made, maybe. Not say in order, but it's like the foundation. Then the Zhuangzi and the I Ching, oh, cool. They're just talking about it more. Same ideas, more explored. Awesome. Then we see a specific description of the, the Zhuangzi for the rest of this paragraph. And that's kind of the main point um, or the main kind of thing they're discussing here. And I agree with you. They use some pretty complicated language. They talk about issues, there's parables, there's all these kind of like high-level words. I honestly don't necessarily think that understanding every one of those words is important. Yeah. If I were to pull out maybe one bit about the Zhuangzi here to kind of point out to us what it does, I would kind of look at the end here. What it's saying that the Zhuangzi does exactly here it is using these down-to-earth types of writing, right? Or it's helping readers bring their lives into alignment. It's encouraging following these Tao elements. I don't need to understand every one of these words to understand that what it's doing is it's trying to make it easier for these people to follow things that are, you know, probably good in the Taoist religion. Perfect. Then... The very first few words of this next um, paragraph are signaling to us a change. That's something I really like to focus on is these transition words. Very first sentence says, unlike the Zhuangzi 
or any other Taoist text, the I Ching predates the Tao Te Ching by centuries. So that unlike is giving us a contrast in saying, oh, this I Ching is different than any other Taoist text for some reason. And, and the reason is because it's really old, is what it sounds like. It's even older than the Tao Te Ching. So already being pointed out in this very first sentence, something that could be important, that's separating or, or distinguishing the I Ching from everything else. It gets a little more explanation of that in the second sentence, where it says, the system of fortune telling described in the I Ching dates to somewhere in the 12th century BCE. The I Ching is meant to guide practitioners in choosing the right action based on some understanding of the current situation and the future. Early in Taoist development, Taoist scholars adopted the I Ching as their own and advocated it as a central text through which one could meditate on the right way. The cosmological notions at the foundation of the I Ching became so intermingled with Taoist cosmology and yin-yangism that over time, by the 16th century, there was no meaningful distinction for most practitioners. They lost me a little bit there at the <laughs> end, if I'm like, you know, just a reader. The first part, I think, though, is good. And we can hang on to that. I kind of think about it as like you're on a rock climb and you look up and it looks like there's a sheer face that's completely flat with no footholds. And then you can look back and you find something that you can grab onto. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. This might seem very scary. It might seem like a sheer cliff face that we don't have anything to grab onto, but there always will. We're going to kind of want to fall back on those um, footholds, handholds, whatever. So here, we're talking about the I Ching. Ryan, they give us a whole bunch of information, but this is actually very repetitive in what they're describing. Mm -hmm. Are there any sentences for you that kind of stand out as being like just very straightforward language of telling us what the I Ching is? Right here. I, this, I, uh, love, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is sufficient to give us a perfectly good understanding, first of all, of the fact that this paragraph is talking about the I Ching. So if we need to pick a detail that we didn't highlight. This highlights telling me this is the I Ching paragraph, so to speak. And we have kind of a little sign here that we can go back and check out this paragraph. We have any I Ching questions. And then secondly, like you said, very straightforward way of describing what's just repeated over and over again in complicated terms later on. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Sorry, we're on okay. second to last paragraph. I'll just kind of read through this one. Finally, in addition to these three core texts, scholars in the 4th and 5th centuries AD attempted to collate all major texts, commentaries, manuscripts, and apologies into a single collection. This work came to be known as the Tao Tsang, typically translated as Treasury of Tao or Taoist Canon. The Tao Tsang was collected and recollected many times over the centuries, but scholars generally recognize four major Tao Tsangs. The first, compiled circa 400 AD, consisted of a bit more than a thousand scrolls and developed a tripartite division that would remain through future efforts. The second and third Tao Tsangs expanded the collection to nearly 5,000 separate scrolls, and the fourth and final Tao Tsang of 1444 in the Ming Dynasty settled the compilation at just under 5,300 works. Yeah, well, I'm gonna kind of unleash this one to you without like any preamble and see because I feel like you're gonna have a pretty good success with this though. So this one to me is mostly just fluff. <laughs> I don't, I don't see anything big here other than, hey, people tried to gather all these together and there's been a couple versions of them. Yeah, I might honestly just highlight exactly what you said. Um, 
there's this thing. I might throw the name in there just because for me personally, these aren't names I'm familiar with. So it can be easy to be, you know, forget or conflate two names and accidentally switch them around. So I like to have them highlighted so it's easy to find. But just like you said, all this is, it's an attempt to combine these major texts. So cool. That's, that's probably all I would highlight there. Like you said, it's a lot of fluff. Give me the descriptions of every single one of these, you know, additions. Not that I don't care, but I don't care for test day unless they're going to ask me a question about it. So mm. let's not let's not dig into it too much until we get a question about it. Then we can kind of worry a little bit more. Okay. Final paragraph. The Tao Tseng, all four major compilations, divides its constituent works into three broad categories, typically termed grottos, each of which is split into a dozen chapters. The three grottos are concerned with meditation, rituals, and exorcisms, with meditation always considered the highest and most pure set of writings. When someone is working to be initiated as a Taoist master, the grotto of meditation includes the writings used in the final phase of training. Okay, so our final paragraph, reading just a bit more new information here. Was there anything that stood out to here to you, Ryan, that's adding new information or that's kind of showing us part of the author's opinion, maybe? Um, I, I think just the, the, the grotto's terminology potentially is going to be important and, and what that is like for those becoming Taoist masters. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing. Grotto's is a term that I'm not very familiar with, but we're kind of lucky because they, they tell us what that means. It's just, just a category just some category we're putting these works into. And it tells us to a little bit about what these specific grottos are. It does kind of spend extra time talking about one of them. Though. Mm -hmm. The one that it spends extra time discussing is the meditation. Like you pulled, like you told you about the very first paragraph we saw here, they're mentioning things over and over again. I can't guarantee they're going to ask you a question about it. But I think it's more likely because that means that our author is giving extra emphasis to it. Therefore, it's something I might in my mind kind of make note of is that they mentioned meditation like three or four times in these last couple sentences. Yeah. Maybe that meditation is something that we might want to key into here as well. Definitely. Perfect. All right. How do you feel, Ryan? Do you feel like we know a little bit more about the, uh, the Taoist religious texts and ready to, to tackle some questions? I'm ready to meditate. Ready to meditate. Become we'll a Taoist master. Um, yeah. All right. So let's let's jump into the, the questions here. So question 16. Which of the following best characterizes the author's attitude towards the position of the Tao Te Ching holds among Taoist texts? All right. So awesome. seems pretty basic. If I, if I were to rephrase this, it would be, what does the author think of, of this Tao Te Ching in terms of um, kind of its place in, in Taoism. Gotcha. And Ryan, just with that, you're already employing like a, a super useful strategy, which is the fact that MCAT test writers, I don't want to say they're mean, but they're not <laughs> trying to make this easy on us, right? They're, they will sometimes present a question in a more complicated form that needs to be. And what you did there, rephrasing it, putting your own words to make it simple and direct to figure out what the question is really asking is so important. And you're exactly right. So we want to see what the author thinks about the Tao Te Ching. Yeah. Based on the highlighting we've done here. Yeah. Where can you tell where the Tao Te Ching is kind of discussed here? First sentence, second paragraph. Tao Te Ching is the central work of all Taoist religion. And this is the author's words here. 
Yeah, it goes without saying. The author is very confident making this statement. So whatever answer we pick should be in line with that, in line with the fact that the palpitation is really important. Yep. And A is the only one that, that does that. Exactly. So, so I'll read the answer choices here for, for those listening. Uh, uh, a is assurance of its foremost position. B, tentative belief of its status as the least important text. C, studied agnosticism about its relative position. Or D, ignorance about how it relates to other texts. So A yeah. really is the only one that makes sense here. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's it's like you said, the author definitely thinks that this is the central works, thinks it's very important. And our author is not, you know, shy about that. The very first kind of sentence there says, it goes without saying that the Tao Te Ching is the central work of all Taoist religion. Our, our author is pretty confident in making this assertion. So you picked an answer that matched that confidence. And I love that. Yeah. All right, 17. Perfect. Suppose archaeologists discover a previously unknown text that discusses Taoist themes and advocates for the practice of Taoist rituals. The author would be least likely to believe which of the following about this text. So, Brian, I really liked what you did that first time. Yeah. This one's, I think, a little bit trickier to rephrase, but I still think rephrasing is a good idea. What do you think is like the heart of this question here? So we find a text. It uh, has Taoist themes, advocates for the practice of Taoist religions. The the confusing part of this is least likely, right? The author would be least likely to believe which of the following of the text. So we're going to read some things, and we're gonna we're gonna try to balance this of would the author believe this or not, assuming it is a Taoist uh, text. So go ahead and read the answer choices here. Absolutely. So answer choice A, such a text would have been incorporated into the Tao Tseng if the compilers had known of it. Answer B, the text may have been written at about the same time as the I Ching. Answer C, any discussion of cosmology included in the new text may have significant overlap with important themes of the I Ching and Yin Yangism. Answer D, it may have been considered an important religious text in its own right, if it were an influential commentary on the Tao Te Ching. So. All right. So, um, so let's, I'm going to go through these one by one. Such a text would have been incorporated into the Tao Seng if the compilers had known of it. I would assume the author would believe that. Right, uh, because the the question is, the author would be least likely to believe which of the following, and we know because we highlighted this Tao Seng is um, a comp uh, a collation of all of the major texts, commentaries, manuscripts, uh, and apologies into a single thing. So, if people would have known about it, it would have been in there. So, yep. seems like that's one an easy one to go. Yeah, that's that's a right answer or a wrong answer because the author would yeah, believe it. Wrong answer because it's supported exactly. Correct. So, answer choice B: the text may have been written at about the same time as the I Ching. So, I don't see anything here that would tell me why this may be true. This seems like completely out of left field. I don't under I don't know why it would have to be written around the same time. Um, so I'm going to leave that one on the table. Answer choice C, any discussion of cosmology included in the new text may have significant overlap with important themes of the I Ching and, uh, yin yang ism. 
And we know, we didn't highlight it, but if we go down to the I Ching uh, paragraph, it does talk about uh, cosmological notions. And so potentially, hey, maybe there's, there's some overlap if, if those were common themes of, the, of that time. So this one to me is potentially one that I can cross out as a, a wrong answer, but I'm going to leave it unchecked for now. Yeah. Uh, and then answer choice D, it may have been considered an important religious text in its own right if it were an influential commentary of the Tao Te Ching. And we know uh, going above where it introduced the extra uh, common, uh, commentating things um, is that the commentaries have been important religious texts themselves. So I'm going to say, yeah, the author is going to believe that because they told us that. And then I'm left with B and C kind of 50, 50 here. And B to me is the easiest one that goes, Oh yeah, I don't think anything is supportive of it has to be during this time period. Yeah. And Ryan, I loved a lot of the things you did there. First of all, you didn't forget it was a least question. That is like seemingly something that you would think like is fine. But like, honestly, kind of get let you on a secret. I did that all the time. I constantly forgot it was a least question, except <laughs> question, not question. And would pick like the exact opposite of the right answer. Yeah. So honestly, just to be safe, I always just highlighted the least not accept questions. Mm-hmm. Maybe people are a little bit less prone to forgetting that than me. Yeah. But that's just what I did after a while. I was like, this is silly. I can't keep missing questions because of this. Yeah, and, exactly. and that, that's actually a good point that you can highlight stuff in the question text as well, not just in the passage text. Yeah, and I liked, that was the first thing I really liked is you kept that clear the whole time. The second thing I really liked is you went through and used process of elimination here. And I think that's a, a naturally a very good strategy when you get a question like this that's so open-ended mm-hmm. because those not, those least, those accept questions, it's very hard to predict what the right answer is going to be before you see the possible options because you know, there's a million things the author wouldn't believe, right? He wrote like five or six paragraphs. I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that would be unsupported here. So what you did was you went through and said, are any of these definitely supported? And from there, you eliminated those ones. Mm-hmm. Now, between <laughs> B and C here, Uh-oh. it can be tricky. Getting down to 50-50, honestly, you've already doubled your odds of getting it right, so that's good. But B and C is interesting. And I liked what you did here is that you noticed both of these things, you found the buzzword. They're both talking about the I Ching. And to really confidently reassure ourselves of which one is right and which one is wrong, I would like us to go back to that I Ching paragraph and kind of glance over the evidence here. Okay. So this isn't exactly what we highlighted, but again, we're not going to be able to highlight every detail. At the very least, what we're going to be able to do is highlight so that way we can kind of make a roadmap for ourselves. And we did that. We know which one's the I Ching paragraph based on our highlight. So going there, it's actually in this first sentence that's going to allow us to pick our best answer here. What we're told is, unlike the Zhuangzi or any other Taoist text, the I Ching predates the Tao Te Ching by centuries. So what that sentence is doing, Ryan, and you're, you're right here, is that it's pointing out how exceptional the I Ching is because it's super old, right? So our author would probably be surprised or disbelieving if we told them, look, I just found another text that's just as old as the I Ching. And that's why B is the right answer here. Okay. So I got the right answer, but for the wrong reason, maybe. Not, I wouldn't say for the wrong reason. There's, I don't know if there's a wrong way to get the right answer. 
But if you want to be super confident and reassured, I don't think it's bad to reread little snippets because you'd be doing an educated reread there, mm. right? Because you know exactly what you're looking at, rereading the whole passage. You're just rereading that context that's talking about the I Ching. And that would let you, if you had enough time, you felt great about timing here, just spend that extra 20 seconds to reread those couple sentences and then you could definitively pick B over C. So okay. I don't think you got right for the wrong reason, but you could have more confidently picked B with just you know a little bit more using that highlighting to guide you to the paragraph there. Got it. All right. Well, got the right answer. That's all that matters. Two for two. <laughs> Question 18. The author asserts that the major difference between the Tao Te Ching and the Zhongzi is that answer choice A, the Zhongzi attempts to show how to apply Taoist concepts in daily life by using short abstract poems. The Tao Te Ching developed after the Zhongjing as a distillation of the core concepts of Tao and Te expressed in the Zhongzi. Uh, the Zhongzi attempts to be more practical both in its subject matter and in its style. Or D, the Tao Te Ching requires its readers to have fully contemplated the works of the Meditation Grotto for full appreciation. So I'm going to get rid of D just because um, I think this is a, a red herring. They're like, ooh, they want you to catch on to that meditation grotto because it was important. Um, and so I'm going to go there because that has nothing to do with the difference between yep, the, exactly. the two works of art. Um, and so, again, paraphrasing uh, is is really just straightforward. The, the, this question is straightforward. Is what, what's the big difference here? Um, and so I'm going to go back to the paragraph about the Zhongxi and really look at what it is, right? It, it helps readers bring their lives into alignment with the concept of Zhujian or naturalness in their daily lives. And so, um, oh man, the, so I'm going to do what you just said for the last the last uh, question and just re kind of go back to this specific paragraph here and go, okay, is there anything else here that that's going to help, right? We have down to earth parables, short dialogues um, that's going to help. And the difference here is this issues um, word of, if you didn't know what this means, this means like it goes against, right? Uh, the, uh, the, the Tao Te Ching. So um, answer choice A here. I'm going to mute you a little bit here. It got noisy at your house. All right. So answer choice A here. The Zhongzi attempts to show how to apply Taoist concepts in daily life by using short abstract poems. Now, this one potentially is one that I'm like, ooh, that's good. But it talks about parables and short dialogues and not poems. And so I'm like, is this a trap? They want me to, like, almost all of the answers correct except for that that one part. So I'm going to leave that one out for now. Uh, answer choice B, the Tao Te Ching developed after Zhong Si as a distillation of the core concepts of Tao and uh, Te expressed in the Zhong Si. Um, so they both have ancient origins. Do we know which one came first? 
I don't know. Do we know when Tao Te Chi? Tao Te Ching? No, I don't know. So the age, I'm not sure when the age came about. Um, other than they're both old. So I'm going to leave that one out for now. And then the Sungsi attempts to be more practical, both in its subject matter and in its style. So practical to me is the opposite of abstract, this abstract poetry. And so I think I'm going to go with that one because I don't like any of the other ones, just because. I think that's, I think that's really great, Ryan. And, and we can go through a little bit more why. But I love, first of all, use the strategy. You went to the paragraph about, about the Zhuangzi and... Issues, I think, issues and parables you know, are probably the, the hardest words here. Friends, if you're not someone who who's natively speaks English or you just don't have a super massive vocabulary, that's okay. We actually see a lot of repetition here that tells us what they think, right? Let's say, I don't know what issues means here. But what they're telling us here right after that, abstract poetry of the Tao Te Ching. They're describing Tao Te Ching as having abstract poetry. I don't know. That seems like it's not necessarily something that's meant to be super accessible, right? It's something that's abstract. Yep. Then when they're describing the, the parts of the Zhuangzi instead, they say instead, it uses more down-to-earth. Even if you don't know what parables means, okay, it uses some type of down-to-earth format and short dialogues in order to help people bring this into their lives. Mm-hmm. So there's a contrast there. And even just that wording there, that instead, where we're doing a comparison and a contrast between the Tao Te Ching and the Zhuangzi, is matching what the question's asking. Because the question's asking us, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. We want to find some comparison between them. And that's exactly what the comparison is there. Then for some of these other answers... A is, is confused. A is saying that the Zhuangzi has the abstract poems when that it's actually the Tao Te Ching, mm-hmm. which had the abstract poems. So, right, that's, that's intentional on their part. They wrote that in there as a wrong answer because they knew it would be tempting because it has familiar language, but it actually flipped the term Zhuangzi versus Tao Te Ching. So that's a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. B is not necessarily correct. And you brought up the point about it's not necessarily clear what the timetable is. We actually saw kind of at least an inference or an implication of what the timetable was in the next paragraph that we actually used to solve the last question. And what that was was that the um, right there is only one thing it seems like the I Ching is the only thing that predates the Tao Te Ching. Therefore, we would infer that it's very unlikely that the Zhuangzi came before the Tao Te. Mm. It's probably also wrong for that reason. Yeah. Got it. So then C ends up being our right answer. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you picked that. That was your, your, your one. But just to be a little bit more confident in that, we can see a little bit of evidence there in the Zhuangzi paragraph and specific reasons that we can articulate why every one of the other answers is wrong. Okay. All right. How are you feeling about that one? Good. Yeah, good. I, I was more confident of that answer than the last one. Good. Pretty good. Three for three. Piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, going into the fourth paragraph of this passage. Which of the following would most weaken one of the author's central arguments? I don't know, Ryan, what do you think about this question? Is it, is it at least kind of direct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And how would you do? You, do you feel like you'd want to rephrase this one, or do you feel pretty good just how it is? I think it's good. Good. There's two key things that I would keep in mind here when we're answering this one. One weekend again, that might be something I highlight just so we don't accidentally flip flop weekend strength and make sure we're getting the right direction. And then what we're looking at here, it's not just any of our author's opinions. It's the central argument mm -hmm. of our author. So, uh, you know, this is just comes from lots of experience of the test, but I know for a fact that some of the tempting wrong answers here are going to be things that are just mentioned that might even be weakened, but they're going to be little side arguments or little throwaway details that are not related to the main argument. So that's going to be maybe a tempting wrong answer that we might want to try to avoid here. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and read the answer choices. Sure. So answer choice A. In several major schools of Taoist teaching, the grotto of meditation is taught as the middle grotto in the progression towards becoming a master, with the final grotto being the grotto of rituals. Answer B. The parables presented by the Zhuangzi are held as infallible representations of the Tao in action and daily life. And questioning the core truth of these stories is typically punished by banishment from the community. <laughs> Answer C. During Taoist ceremonies, the priest's copy of the Tao Te Ching is treated reverently, placed on a special dais between readings, with only the priest being permitted to touch the book. Answer D. Despite the existence of many works that discuss Taoist themes, the texts themselves are not seen as sacred by most Taoists, and the ideas expressed in these works are taken as general guidance that can be disregarded by any local priest or follower of the religion. <laughs> this, this one seems pretty easy that I'm scared. Um, okay, well, it feels easy. I don't necessarily think that trusting your gut is a bad yeah. thing. What's your gut telling you? Uh, so I, I think the first question is, what's the author's central argument? I, and I think mm -hmm, the, first, exactly. the author's central argument is that there are these great religious texts for Taoism that people don't think about, but are true that the Taoism does have these great central texts and answer choice D basically goes against that and says like those who practice uh, Taoism don't think that then the priests don't think it and, and nobody thinks it. No, I agree. And I love the thing that you did there was first you made a little bit of prediction. You said, okay, I know what the question's asking me to do is to say what's going to contradict or weaken the central argument. And then you said, okay, in order for me to do that, I got to know what the central argument is first. And you did it. You found it. It's something that we introduce very early on. And then every paragraph after that is either describing it, explaining it, giving us evidence for that. Everything is in support of that central argument. That's how we know it's the central argument. Mm. And then, like you said, D is the one that contradicts it most clearly. D is the right answer here. Okay. Trust you got. Awesome. Rephrase, ask yourself questions. And then we get to a Roman numeral question that everyone uh, hates. All right. So hey, question 20. According to the passage, which of the following can be inferred regarding Taoist religious texts? All right. So here's an inferred one that's like, this isn't in the passage, but you have to tie it together with the passage. So uh, two of our favorite types of questions, Roman numerals and inference questions. Um, Roman numeral one, the Tao Te Ching lacks the histor uh, historicity of the Quran. Uh, Roman numeral two, the Authorship and structure of the Zhongzi, unlike the Tao Te Ching, has been clearly established by historians. 
Answer choice three, the Tao saying lacks the coherence of the Talmud. Um, so we, from, from the beginning, we say the key text of Taoism may lack some of the coherence and historicity of the Talmud or the Quran. And so that seems to go with, um, answer choice one that that's true right the Tao Te Ching lacks the historicity of the Quran now the question is like shoot can this be inferred or is this in the text and so it can't be inferred because it's in the text uh, and this is where I go well is one is either right because it's in the text or it's wrong because it's in the text <laughs> and, that, well, and that's where as a pre-med I start overthinking really heavily I think that's a, a very tempting thing. It's things we see a lot of students have is this tendency to like have a good gut feeling and overthink it to the point where they move off. <laughs> I think yeah, that's a good point. If something, if we're inferring something, it's probably not stated exactly like that in the passage, but yep. we'll notice here that we actually are making just a little bit of an inference here. It's a very logical one. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's a very simple logical conclusion, but yeah. we're having to put one and one together to make two. And the first point is that key texts in Taoism might not be as coherent or historical as this Talmud or the Quran. Mm-hmm. The second point is that the Tao Te Ching is a key text of Taoism. Yep. We put those together and we get answer choice one. <laughs> that's actually exactly what, that's literally all that we mean here. Okay. All right. So we know that. One thing that, I'm oh, sorry, if I can interject here yeah. real quick though. One thing I will say here, you picked one to, to analyze first year. I think that's totally fine. One is, uh, Roman numeral one is present in three of the four answer choices. So this is kind of what I think of as the gambling strategy. Mm-hmm. So if, as it is here, one, Roman numeral one turns out to be true, you've eliminated one answer and there's three left. Yep. If it turns out to be false, three of them are eliminated, you automatically get the right answer. You can do that if you're in a gambling mood. If you're not, if you want to be a little bit more methodical, you can pick one of the answer choices or one of the Roman numerals that's present in exactly two of the four answer choices Mm -hmm. that way no matter whether it's true or false you've automatically ruled it out to a 50 50 yeah just something to bring up just roman numerals in general okay all right so potentially could have gone with roman numeral two because that's only in two of the answers roman Roman numeral three is in two of the answers so yes either of those i mean and again sometimes if you pick the one that's present in three of them you're just gonna it's gonna be false and you really quickly get to the right answer yeah it's a preference thing but i usually go for the one that's in two or four just I don't know. Yeah. What I like to do. Um, so answer choice two is the authorship and structure of the Zhongzi, unlike the Tao Te Ching, has been clearly established by historians. So that word clearly, it to me is like, uh-oh, like that's always the, the one that's going to throw me off. Either we know a little bit or we know a lot. And so if we go back to this third paragraph, we can see supposedly <laughs> is opposite of clearly. Yep. Therefore, I think answer choice two goes out the window as not a right answer. <laughs> I, I I agree entirely. And we even see more, right? It also says its origin is shrouded in legend. Yeah. Another signal there. Yeah. Um, all right. And so we're left with one we know is right. And we don't know if three is right. So we could be down to 
um, answer choice. We're down to answer choice A and C. Uh, and so the Tao saying lacks the coherence of the Talmud. And so for me, the only reference of Talmud that I remember is up here. I'm going to quickly scan to see if it was mentioned anywhere else. And I don't see anywhere else quickly because we don't have a lot of time to do these, although in the podcast we do. Um, I don't see anywhere else where um, there's any sort of lack of coherence mentioned. It's like, hey, this is this is big compilations of things, of everything that we could find. So lack of coherence to me seems like it would be a little bit of a stretch. So I'm going to go with one only. Yeah, interesting. So I think, so you pulled out the, the only time we saw Talmud. You're right. That is the only time we see Talmud. You're right on that part. What did it say? Why was it bringing up Oh, because it lacks coherence. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this was about, oh, the key text. And so, again, inferred some of the key texts. If you put them all together, it still lacks coherence. Therefore, I got it wrong in its answer choice. <laughs> yeah. that was, oh, that was, you got like, everything. I was like, yeah, I'm just nodding. Like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Found the right part. Just, it can be easy, you know, to lose just that little bit, that yeah. little, right? It shows you have to get, you know, lots of little steps right in a row to get the answer. Yeah. Right. But, what, what threw me off is I was stuck on this historicity from, uh, uh, from this part of the question. And I didn't remember to look up one line and go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. coherence and mm-hmm. historicity. All right. Can't, can't win them all. Four out of five is <laughs> not bad. Four out of five is not bad at all. Um, all right. So, I mean, this one to me seemed relatively easy compared to some of the other passages that we've done. Um, it's it's a topic that I know nothing about, um, but it seemed relatively straightforward, even though there were some big words here and there that I'm like, I don't know what really that means. And so I'm just going to ignore it for now. And again, just using some key highlighting and some critical thinking and getting to the right answer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's perfectly fair. And, and to some degree, uh, depending on how you look at it, knowing nothing about a topic can be an advantage, then there's no chance for that, you know, outside knowledge or outside opinions to like steer you wrong. Um, and like you mentioned, there, there's some difficult language here. There's some some really high level, you know, vocabulary that's used, but not that we should absolutely ignore it, but we should look at it and say, okay, maybe I don't know what this exact word means. If I look up, for my, you know, my clue words. It says, furthermore, mm-hmm. probably what it's saying right after that is still describing the same idea. Mm-hmm. So I can just look somewhere after that to say, oh, they're still describing the same idea. What kind of opinion do I get there? Versus on the other hand, it's probably something that's opposite what I just read. So kind of using those keys to fill in the blanks is a perfectly valid way to do it. Because the MCAT sometimes seems like it makes you, you know, eat a dictionary and memorize it before the test. It, you really don't necessarily have. All right. So there you have it. Again, Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic Cars Passage 4. Hopefully this was helpful. Car section, so much better when you uh, when you just slow down. I know during the real thing, you don't have that much time. Uh, but here on the podcast, we can slow down and, and just think through things. And hopefully as you get better at that thinking, you can then speed up for your diagnostics, your real um, your real exam, all of your practice tests and everything else. Again, get this diagnostic for free at blueprintmcat.com. 
This is MedEd Media.